Well, I can't keep looking backwards. There's a lot for me to learn. And I'm looking forward overly. There's a lot for me to burn. There's a wood outside the window. There's a lot for me to learn. Less than half of what I see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast, wherein two early 40s curmudgeons stare down the prospect of their entertainment irrelevance. I am your co-host. My name is Noah Tarno. I am the founder and senior quiz master of the big quiz thing, the trivia game show spectacular. And with me again as he is every time, is my wonderful co-host, the one, the only, from American Caesar Enterprises, Mr. Filmmaker himself, Bill Scurry. Greetings on this lovely day, Mr. Scurry. People have asked, though, since it is always the two of us, um, my friend James Hancock has said that he's really open to the prospect of a, of a Crisis on Infinite podcast, just because <laughs> I've been on his thing for so long, and he, you know, he listens yeah. to our thing, and, and it's like, we haven't really had the format to do like a, you know, to get somebody else on the mic, but I mean, I kind of would be interested if it was the right chemical mix of person, yeah. for sure. You got to be careful with this podcast format, you know, our years of training and the, <laughs> the master's degrees we have in podcasting, you know, we, we know all the ins and outs. The pe- We're well, very qualified. Though. You don't want to just throw our Peabody's out. I mean, we got those yeah, for a exactly. reason. Exactly. We got we got shelves of Peabody's, uh, our our uh, our humanitas prizes and Mark Twain. I meant illustrations okay. of Mister Peabody. That's what I was talking right. about. We have our Sherman Awards. All right. <laughs> uh, so today is a different concept, sort of, for I don't get it. The pop culture get off my long cast. Uh, for the first time, we are looking at a trend from the world of cuisine. Very prone to fads. Very prone to trends. Uh, food and. We're looking at a food fad of the last couple years. Straight from Hawaii, it is poke. P-O-K-E, poke. Not pronounced poke, poke. And I will tell you, I was um, absent from New York for a year. I left New York, and I didn't visit New York for 13 months. And when I came back, one of the I noticed two things I hadn't seen in New York before that were all over the place when I came back. One is WeWorks, and the other is poke bars. Absolutely, yep. Uh, so the last couple of years, it has been one of the most prominent and noticeable food trends in cities throughout the United States. What is poke? Poke is a traditional Hawaiian fish salad. Poke is a Hawaiian word meaning to section or to cut up. Traditionally, a Hawaiian fisherman would uh, catch fish, uh, often tuna, cut it up right there in the boat, season it, and eat it raw in salad form. And it has become one of the signal dishes of Hawaiian cuisine. You can find, um, much like a deli counter in New York or another major mainland American city, uh, you will find supermarkets, particularly the Foodland chain throughout Hawaii, you would find uh, various forms of poke, not only the tuna, but other fish, uh, other seafood, octopus uh, poke is apparently very popular, usually just served with seasonings, onions, scallions, things like that. But in the last few years, it has become, I don't say Americanized, I don't say Westernized, because those things still apply to Hawaii, but it would be fair to say kind of white personized. Poke bars, usually kind of fast casual restaurants, have opened in all major cities. And and the variety of poke you get at these places is uh, markedly different from the traditional Hawaiian variety. Uh, They call it more a poke bowl. So usually you'll get a bowl of rice, And you'll get an option. Do you want the tuna? Often they offer salmon, maybe shrimp, uh, usually some non-fish, completely vegetarian option. And then various toppings. Some of the common toppings are kale and cucumbers. uh, I've been to a couple places where they had crab salad. One place had macaroni salad. Um, And then, you know, your various sauces, which seem very Japanese-inspired. 
uh, miso, soy, things like that. Um, I think this, in many ways, people describe it as deconstructed sushi, and I definitely see some element of that. Uh, so I, in the last week, I have, uh, I'd heard of poke, I'd never tried it. I love fish. So I went out, I got poke at two different places in San Francisco, and, uh, well, we'll get into it in a minute what I thought of it. Yeah, it's the hot food trend of the moment among, uh, urban mainland American dwellers. So, uh, Mr. Bill Scurry... What do you think of poke? Well, I, I look, man, it, it's just <laughs> fucking sushi in a bowl. Get a grip, everybody. Sushi in a Come bowl. Come on, wake the fuck up, everybody. all right? Oh, okay. Great. Um, okay. In discussing this, and I was really glad you brought this one to us because food, for all the reasons you just said, is a great thing to talk about just because it is yeah. so fad-driven, or at least in our respective cities it is. I, I don't eat fish, and I think part of the incongruity of our original conversation was you saying, like, you don't eat fish, not even salmon, not even lox, not even whitefish? It's which is like, no, I, you know, I mean, I, I eat shrimp and, and uh, lobster and, and crab, but I don't really go any further than that. But that wasn't an impediment because they do serve, believe me, there's plenty of poke options. Actually, it's just two poke options for people who don't eat fish. It's pretty much chicken and tofu. See, I didn't see chicken. You went to a place that had chicken poke. Yeah, I went to Poke Green, wow. which is uh, just around the block from me here. Uh, and I actually, I got Janice, my wife, on board for this too. But she, she hadn't had this yet and she wanted to sample it. As a fish eater, of course. So at least I would have the... Um, corroboration of somebody who actually eats this fucking sea garbage and um hey 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 lobsters are literally bottom feeders all right you want to talk about sea garbage fish are way cleaner animals than lobsters. homaris americanus you're not wrong about that yeah so she got the house poke bowl which is probably a pretty standard configuration at most of these joints and i got a, a chicken bowl Everything is fairly close to format. You got a basis of rice. They put your protein on top. And I, I hate the fact that we're fucking calling food protein these days. I, I can't. I want to fucking know. choke it's, anyone it's, who does it's that. Pretty, it's pretty pretentious. It's yeah. goddamn obnoxious and pretentious. It's pretty pretentious. It's yeah. fucking bullshit. Uh, and then on top of that, especially the chicken bowl, there was a smattering of cilantro. There was some um, dried garlic or like dehydrated or, or deep fried garlic chips for a little yeah. bit of a crunchiness to it. They put this, I think, like a mayonnaise-based spice sauce on top of it. It's... You know, goop. It's a big slop of stuff in a bowl. It's it's inverted sushi. <laughs> the one she got was, um, I think it was salmon tuna, maybe a little bit of uh, uh, whatever that nigiri. I think there might have been some of that the seaweed in it, some crunch, maybe sesame seeds, and, and maybe a thin rice vinegar as a, as a base. Yeah. I think the sesame seeds are part of the traditional Hawaiian uh, version. I think that's something that has survived from the original form. But yeah, it should. I mean, that's that's present in uh, Japanese. Yeah. S- yeah. yeah. It just tasted like any goopy bowl of salad you can get for any at any lunch counter here in New York. So there wasn't anything specific about it. And I figured, okay, it's not really up to me what she said about it, you know, and she, she kind of pushed a third of it away. She put the cap on and she says, this isn't very good. That could have something to do with the poke green version of it that we actually have here yeah. in the city. I think she said, no, this fish isn't great. She goes, when you go to a sushi place or you're going to get sashimi, the whole emphasis is on what kind of actual fish they yeah. cut for you. Uh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, I, you know, I wouldn't know that. That's not something. I just, that, that's it, one of the issues with fish is, you know, it's about freshness. And, and part of what I think the cultural poke element, whatever, is that these dudes would just pull it on the boat and eat it right there. Yeah. You know, it was more a snack. And yeah, fish is all about freshness. Trust me, there's nothing worse than bad old fish but sure yeah i mean it's possible you just went to a crappy place mm-hmm. um i went think? to two yeah well i i loved it i mean i went to two places so just to be clear anyone who does know bill's in new york i'm in san francisco i went to coast poke counter 
on Battery Street uh, in the financial district near my office. And then I went to, yes, this is a terrible name, a place called Poke Delish, which is in a food court called the Myriad in the, uh, I guess, DeBose Triangle area of the city. And uh, in both cases, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, I love fish. I love most kinds of fish. Um, one place I got salmon, the other place I got tuna. In both cases, the fish was nice and fresh and delicious. And I'm not even that big a sushi person. Yeah, it was kind of deconstructed sushi, but my thought was more, it's more like a fish cousin to just like a salad. The salad bowl place, which has become such a staple of the uh, American worker lunchtime option. Yeah, and, Jesus, man. What's you up know, with you that? You know, you go to these, well, I mean, it's it's convenient, it's fast, it's flexible. Uh, we, we are a people who, in terms of our cuisine, we have, grown accustomed over the last 50 years to really liking variety, uh, really liking this sort of do-it-yourself, like, I pick this, I pick what's in the pasta, I pick what's in the salad, I pick what's on the burger. Have it your way, as a royal burger maker <laughs> once declared. Uh, but I, I think that's become largely an American, you know, it used to be everyone ate the same thing every time, and now it's very much like, you know, you pick what you want, you put it all together in a bowl. Um, so I think poke is, it very much fits in with that idea. I think fish, I don't want to say it's having a moment because people have eaten fish since time immemorial, literally, you know, as people become more aware of red meats and even to some extent poultry's negative effects on their health and the environment, there's a, a push for a lot of people to eat more fish. Uh, of course, the problem with that is people are afraid of overfishing in the oceans and all that. So both of the poke places I went to loudly trumpeted, oh, we, we serve sustainable fish. And whether or not that's true, you know, it lets people believe that they're it's doing not, something It's healthy. not true. Yeah, it's not true. I, no. who gives a, I, I don't want to say who gives a shit because I do give a shit, but <laughs> I don't give a shit enough to really, to really do anything beyond saying I give a shit. Uh, I, in both cases, I really enjoyed it. You know, I remember the first time I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have had a snack before. This is a big bowl of food. I'm not going to finish this. And I finished the whole thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I went to two good places. Maybe you went to one bad place. And mm -hmm. I love fish. And I like the combination of ingredients. And, yeah, there was the crunchy. I got garlic flakes on top, too. And the second place I went had macaroni salad in it, which I thought was odd. But interesting that so, sounds very hawaiian to me from what i've heard not yeah been there. yeah they do like it yeah in fact one of them had for a little extra they would give you uh spam masubi which ah, is that's very hawaiian definitely hawaiian yeah right sure. so this place is uh definitely trying to you know be be true to the hawaiian thing well um, there's a chance that you actually have access to the nearer access to actual yes, hawaiian am. culture there's no way i am on the west coast yes, yeah there's no way we're going you're, you're fucking five hours we're I, I 18 hours that the, the people in this place did not look Hawaiian to me. Let me put it that way. Sure. Uh, but whatever. I mean, they were, you know, they were the people behind the counter. They probably weren't the owners regardless. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot. And I'm like, damn, I should be eating this shit for lunch more often. I like having an easy, quick, delicious, with some variety option. Um, you know, it wasn't cheap in either case. I think both bowls were about 11 bucks. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> When I say 11 bucks isn't cheap for lunch, sadly, it's not that atypical for lunch in the financial district of San Francisco. Yeah. So you live with it. Uh, I'm not going to eat this crap every day, but maybe once a week. But if you don't like fish, man, you're never going to like this. I mean, I, 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 I guess I'd be curious if you went to a, quote, good place. But I don't know. What's the and chicken? I, I, none of the places I went to had chicken. So, like, 
I'm like, well, why don't you just go to like a good salad place or get a burrito bowl or something if you're going to get a bowl of chicken and rice? You know? I, I, no, I or a Japanese place. You know, I wouldn't do this in the future. This is this yeah. is not. It's kind of like going to. Um, it's like going to Rayo's Italian and ordering hot dogs. You know, like if you're not going to get the thing that's there, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, going what's to the point? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this is where I have to drop the hammer on this because this is yeah. this topic is extremely inflammatory to me. Just because we're talking about the consumption of tuna, you know, yeah. I I am a amateur marine biologist and I'm an avid diver and. Uh, <laughs> I there is something so abhorrent. First of all, tuna is an, is an, uh, an endangered species, and we yes. are scouring the ocean of it. There's no yeah, there's no lookout whatsoever for its health. Um, and not only that, but there's a there's a blind lust for tuna in America. Where I mean, first of all, it costs a lot to, to you know it's like it it costs a lot to get. It's an expensive commodity for the people who catch it. So the impetus for them to keep scouring the ocean until there's nothing left is there. There is no enforcement of the way they catch and how much they catch, or there's just very nominal levels of enforcement. So essentially, we're looking at extinction in the next 50 years of the tuna. And we know exactly, we know that this is happening. And yet, there's a fucking fad trend that is encouraging people to eat more of this endangered species without any without any acknowledgement of the cost of a fever fad. And th- this, to me, is the perfect analogy for the Trump years. We know exactly what this stuff does. We know that it's hell on a fucking rocket. And all we're doing is riding and saying, ah, somebody will fix it at some point. We're going to do that with yeah. energy. We're going to do that with the climate. We're going to do that with extinction. No one's going to fix a goddamn thing. And we're going to say, oh, boy, imagine if somebody had done something along the way where they had said, hey, maybe you shouldn't eat every single tune in the ocean until it's it's gone. It's depleted. And it's like, it's going to happen. In the next 25 yeah. to 50 years, there's not going to be any tuna left in the ocean because it's unsustainable. And yet I walk out of my fucking place here within 10 minutes i'm not exaggerating within a 10 minute walk there are seven poke shops seven of them uh all down here in the financial district from i would say right around city hall or right north of city hall down to the battery park area of new york and their job is to just fire tuna out of a fire hose into your fucking face in the biggest (laughs) quantities possible and it is abhorrent it is completely miserably irresponsible to do that uh, I just don't understand how these shops. Well, I mean, I do understand. It's because this is this is ugly. This is gross. This is this is a fire that is uh, scouring the landscape, and everybody just doesn't associate their behavior with something horrible, and you know, a holocaust to fish populations. Instead, we just get to delude ourselves into thinking that this is. Um, something that is acceptable merely because it has a pop-up you know there's something faddish about it too i wanted to go down there and like choke everybody and saying what are you what are you doing what are you i mean the 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 employees of this it was not fair to them obviously but it's like you know what you're 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 abetting the destruction of a species of fish you're not even giving lip service to the fact that we could be doing something to prevent its extinction right now very good point i i actually ran across an article yesterday poking poking around (laughs) uh about what people have written about poke and uh, this one woman who ran a poke shop somewhere said she she didn't serve tuna for a year mm-hmm. uh, and did fine. You yeah. know, mainly served salmon and, and some of the other var- octopus and some of the other varieties. And uh, I mean, yeah, that's something I forget. I actually eat quite a bit of tuna. Uh, uh, usually, you know, bumblebee mm. uh, is a staple of my diet. 
you know, these are these are good points all around. Well, it's like um, beef. You know, beef was made into the American yeah. staple just the same way chicken was. It was elected to do so because there yes. were farming op- farming interests. But, but well, beef is different. Beef is the production of beef is bad for the environment. It's yeah, about, yeah. It's not like cows are at risk of being extinct. I know, but, but it's like how many people? Here's my question: Is like left? Let's say we're pastoral people. Let's say we're agrarian pastoral people yeah. before pre-industrial. Um, how many people are eating cows? You know, just yeah. just a, what like you know now it's it's this ubiquitous thing, and the, you know beef is everywhere. It's just a part of the holy trinity. Yeah. But it's, it's like, what's for dinner. How many humans had access to beef yeah, before well. it was turned into you know a factory farmed staple? You well, know. but but fish is similar. I mean, I remember something funny. My sister told me when when my sister lived in Switzerland, uh, my nephews were probably eight years old, and they were eating fish. And one of them looked at his fish and he went, we're not supposed to be eating this. We're in a landlocked country. That's right. I generally don't do videos of recipes that are this trendy. But in this case, I'm going to make an exception. And that's because there's a bunch of pulque bowl spots that have sprung up in the neighborhood. And I'm watching my friends line up to pay like $15 for what is essentially a few cubes of raw tuna tossed in soy sauce. And of course, there is a little more to it than that, but not much more. So the point of this video is to make sure everyone that enjoys pulque is aware of just how easy this is to make at home. Why is poke popular? I think I got at it before. I think fish is having a moment because it, perhaps wrongly, lets people believe they're being more healthful and being more environmentally aware. I think uh, more than ever, we need quick, casual food because we're overworked to death. I think uh, the variety, the do-it-yourself thing, I think has just snowballed in the last 30, 40, 50 years in American culture. From, you know, you go back to the 1950s, and if you're a single person, you eat whatever the woman who owns the boarding house serves for dinner versus, you know, McDonald's and Burger King have it your way versus salad bar versus fix-it bar. You know, it is now very much you eat what you want when you want it. But we like to be catered to in terms of our food. We don't like to try unusual things. Or if we do, sure. there's some some adventurousness to it. Yeah. Uh, and then also, like everything we talk about in the show, right place, right time, it's a fad. I think just the way, you know, sushi was a fad in the 80s, just the way now you can find a sushi bar every two blocks in a major American city. I mean, you could probably find a fucking sushi bar every two blocks in Omaha now. Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. That? Yeah, who would have predicted that in the 80s? And this gets us something else. We were talking about this before. There's an article we both read from uh, this blog. Now we uh, first we feast this uh, guy from Hawaii. Although he says I'm not Hawaiian, I'm Japanese. He's a chef, Mark Gooch Naguchi. So already I don't like him, and he <laughs> complains about the poke trend. Basically, he says it's it's cultural appropriation, and they're defiling his culture, and. I think he's talking out of his ass. Look, I know nothing about Hawaiian culture. I know nothing, basically nothing about food culture. But come on, it's food. I mean, I think cultural appropriation is culture. I don't understand what culture is if it isn't taking the influences you get around you, reshaping them, reforming them, repurposing them. There are ways you can do that that's insulting. I mean, blackface, for example. But I don't see how, I mean, he complains about people who write poke with an accent over the E. Mm-hmm. I just, I guess I just don't see how that's insulting. Well, well what is that? That's the, um, the sort of the agu, almost like the, the Latin right. agu. Well, to... it's telling people how to pronounce it because I'm sure a lot of people say poke. Yeah. And it's poke. 
right? But they're in but, the original Hawaiian, the pigeon, it's it's just it's spelled without the agu. Yeah, yeah, the right. egg. It's properly without the accent. So okay. uh, he's upset about this, but he's like, if if you don't know the history of it, you can't make it. Like really? Like so? If I don't know the history of pizza, I can't make a fucking pizza. Like if <laughs> non-Jews can't make bagels, like frankly, and I'll tell you, as a Jew, I'm proud that bagels are everywhere. I'm proud that people dance the horror at Catholic weddings. I mean, what is what is specifically Jewish about dancing in a circle? Culture is taking what you find, adapting what you like, reshaping it, reforming it. Uh, finding a new culture, creating a new... I mean, what is America if it isn't the polyglot of all these things? Mm -hmm. What is American music? American music is the intersection of uh, African-American spirituals, which led to blues and, and, you know, British folk music. Well, you know, one of the ways for people to... um a cultural missile is usually bound up in the idea of food. I mean, I'm in, I'm inclined to agree with you, but but generally, as the the white guy who owns everything and is is the aggressor in the world today, it's hard for me to even speak up on it, just because what what leg do I have to stand on? But the way in which a lot of people have won the hearts and minds wars all over the world from time immemorial has been through food. Not just the idea that here's a borrowing, but it's almost like here is a, a here's a here's a landmine. Here's something that's so good. It's going to drag us together because you love this karma. You know, this is something so good. You're going to seek it out. And this, this is going to mean something to you because the food is a Trojan horse. And food especially. I mean, you're right. It's such a – everyone eats, you know, most cultures have some tradition of we get together over food. You know, it is so central to life. I mean, food is up there with love and sex, you know, mm -hmm. and, and music. I mean, more than music. I don't know how we arrived at this topic, but I guess my, I think my point was, you know, we, we as America goes on, we become more and more of a polyglot culture and more and more influences from the edges creep in. And our our whatever mainstream, quote unquote, American culture is mutates and changes. And frankly, I think gets more diverse. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, mm -hmm. you mentioned the Trump era we're in and so much of that is the backlash to white people who feel themselves, you know, we don't want a taco truck on every corner. Well, first of all, why the fuck not? And, you know, no one's forcing you to eat tacos. And, you know, Cracker Barrel will still be open. Don't worry about it. And, <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. You're right. You're and, right. And, you know, like, this makes us richer and, I mean, in Kumbaya, this makes us richer and stronger. So this is a backlash against these people seeing taco trucks in every corner and poke trucks in every corner. You know, they have this poke trucks. Well, there are trucks. They have this cultural dominance and they feel it slipping away. I'm going to play John Cougar Mellicam's Ain't That yeah. America under yeah, your, yeah, uh, under your yeah. speech. Yeah, um, houses for you and me. Yeah, I believe that the popularity... I would also be willing to bet that there is not poke in huge quantities outside of our resident cities. Yes, Maybe. but my point is I think there, just like there wasn't sushi in those places in the 80s, my point is in 10 years there will be. Yeah, there could be. There could be. Or this yeah. could be forgotten, you know, or, or this could just yeah, have been, a, a, you know, like you have – this isn't new food no one's ever seen before. It's pretty much just a combination of shit that everyone's eating in one – like I said, it's inverted sushi. And so right. there's no there's no real novelty in it. Once you have one fucking bowl of it, you're kind of done with it. But it says something that in the these these economic uh, white collar areas that we live in, 
these affluent places like Lower Manhattan, like the Financial District of San Francisco, that this stuff is so ubiquitous in these cities. And so it's outsized. The popularity is outsized. I mean, it is a bubble that I feel like will contract. Look, I think it's almost immaterial how good the food is. I don't think it ever matters. It's like food becomes a fucking thing in this town just because people tell you to eat it. Not because right. people enjoy it, but because— Well, remember, pe- remember the lines around the block for cronuts? I do, and that was horse. I finally shit. had a cronut. It wasn't even— Look, I don't like— I had a cronut. I'm like, fine, it's a donut. Like, yeah. why are you waiting three hours for a fucking donut? Well, that's so because stupid. it's a commodity. Because well, because you, you're, you're tricked into thinking that food is Bitcoin. Right. That, that, like, so yes. you can put something Thank in your— yeah, you could put something in your hand that has value. And yeah. I think right now, I mean, you know, in, in, in a macro idea that, that or a micro idea that the, the poke bowl is kind of a commodity at the moment where you feel if you have access to it, that, you know, if there's some conference of, of you know, value to it. But, you know, the other thing is that, like, fucking New York, right? This is the problem. Like, when Chipotle got here... And there was a fucking Chipotle on every corner, and that thing contracted too. But I felt like this is the problem with everyone here getting it from fucking Ohio and Pennsylvania. Is they're they're dragging their tra- their their franchises, their chains all over New York and turning it into an open air strip mall. Seeing all these really anodyne chains just flood the market like ATM vestibules on every corner, taking up real estate. You know that used to actually have culture inside of it. You know, that's that's standard gentrification bullshit. And in this case, I think that the poke in particular is the influence of California residents flooding Manhattan. It's the influence of California residents coming here for the education. Uh, the kids who go to NYU, the kids who go to Columbia, the kids who go to New School, the kids who go to Pratt. That, I feel like, it's it's a youth movement that has brought, much like Chipotle was brought to New York by younger people who wanted to be tastemakers and insisted that their culture come here with them. Uh, poke is the same thing, where it's a very specific regional West Coast thing that would not have gotten to New York other than as a, you know, a cottage industry or something as a curiosity, explodes into a huge thing simply because there's people here who want a taste of home. I mean, look, I see the Californication of almost anything to be good because I, the reason I moved here is I worshipped California since I was 10 years old. There's a famous quote, I don't know who said it, California is America, but more so. I mean, frankly, I think Chipotle is another good example of what I'm talking about. The average American had never eaten Mexican food in the 60s. And now, I mean, my God, the average American has eaten Mexican food in the last three days. This is a positive direction we're moving in. I'm not talking about Chipotle. And, you know, if there's a, if McDonald's owns a poke chain and that's everywhere in 10 years, I'll be right on board with you. But it's not what we're talking about. I feel like it's a separate issue. But then again, we haven't gotten the McDonald's of sushi yet. We haven't gotten the McDonald's of Thai food yet. You know, I particularly, look, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a man who loves California. I love Los right. Angeles. I love San Francisco. I love everywhere that I've been. But I have a, I have a suspect eye towards, I don't want to say the homogeneity, but the idea that California is so successful at not intentionally, but by the power of California being where the media eye resides, California, more so than New York, I think, can project values and especially language faster than just about any other place. Right. Well, and but the, yeah, okay, go ahead. That, like Manhattan, for instance, which used to own a sort of um, proprietary grit. Places like, you know, places like Brooklyn, and don't get me wrong, that's still in Bronx and Staten Island and a lot of Western Queens as well, or Eastern Queens as well. 
I'm not saying I want to return to muggers, but uh, <laughs> there are a lot of places you can go in New York now where you could not tell the difference between what block you're on here and if you run like Coenga in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, and, and we I, like, I don't agree with that. But I okay. have seen it. I've been in both places enough to feel like if I just close the top of my eyes and don't look at a skyline, and if I just look at what I see yes. around here. Yeah, oh, don't look at the skyline. I mean, you're in a city. Of course you're looking at the skyline. Well, not I if, mean, you're, I get... if you're in the outer boroughs, if you're in Park Slope or something like that. You know, how different is a lot of Park Slope from, say, Abbott Kinney in Santa Monica? You know, it's not that different. I, 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 Cosmetically. It's not that different, but they're both the United States of America, man. Everyone speaks English. And yes, I, they, both, they both have the same chain restaurants. I hear you. This is probably off topic, but New York and San Francisco right now are these places that are saying to everybody, it's like, we are the summit of American values. We believe in equal protection of the law. We're, we're sanctuary cities. You know, we, we have human rights. There is, uh, you know, marriage for all, basic, basic civil rights for everybody. Uh, the idea that we're supposed to be a bastion of humanity uh, and compassion. And, you know, you know, there's there's the idea of civil sharing in public spaces and, and mass transit and all these things that so many places in America and people would sort of walk away from. However, in the world of like the $15 poke bowl and apartments going for $4,000 for, you know, uh, 800 square feet, it's like this is the best of America. A place that says one thing about something and then completely means something different economically, where you know the the best of America is here only for millionaires, and it's like if you could have, you could if you could afford the privilege of of eating a poke bowl in New York, then you have access to whatever equal protection that we we give you, and the fact that you can take a train that's falling apart. But that's that's a side that's a side note. Um, <laughs> You know, it's like what a high barrier to greatness is if is if it's like you have to pay to enjoy the best of things that we would just assume are inalienable rights yeah. to people. But what makes this traditional Hawaiian dish so unique? And why is it now becoming popular with New Yorkers? I think the healthy aspect of it is huge. People generally care more these days. Poke fits into that trend really, really well. Excellent texture there. You're going to have the soft fish, the smooth texture of the rice, as well as the mixed greens. I do think the most important thing with a poke bowl is the quality of the fish is kind of first and foremost. But poke bowls aren't just any dish. They're an introduction into Hawaiian culture. It's something that is really engraved into the culture there, that everyone grows up and sees fish over rice. Would you be more into this, Bill, if you were a younger man, if you were in your 20s? If you were, if you were fresh-faced, straight out of college, moved to the big city to work in high finance, as was your dream, would you be hitting the poke counters after, uh, for lunch, meeting the, the, the hot little honeys there after work? It's interesting. I, I mean, I was going to think, of, I was actually dialing this back to, like, literally if I was a kid, and uh, fast food was a novelty. I don't know if it was for you guys, but, you know, whether it was a, a tight budgets in our household, but also my uh, the, the lack of an adventurous palate in my family. Like, like Taco Bell was considered very adventurous. So that never, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even joking, that never, ent- we never got Mexican food because there was no way my mom would have went near any of it. So since so, it was an alien, qu- alien quantity to her, we never got to touch even something as simple as that. You didn't eat fish sticks. Well, fish sticks, yes. Uh, again, they were, if anything was frozen in the Carter administration, it was uh, uh, able to be defrosted and uh, cooked in an oven in the Reagan in the Reagan administration. So yeah, okay, that so that you counted. Did you ever go out to eat? Uh, we went out to eat, but not to any place. You know, going out to eat meant literally Burger King. That okay. was where we got to go. 
You wouldn't even go to like Bennigan's or something. Bennigan's didn't exist on Long Island, I would say, until really? about about eighty six yeah. or eighty seven. And by oh, that okay. point, I'm not saying I wasn't a kid by then, but that wasn't really established as as a place you'd go out to eat. If I'm a kid, yes, the exoticism, even though I'm not eating the fish, but a, a bowl of chicken goop based in rice would have been a novelty. It would have been a taste of the far orient. I didn't even have Chinese food until 1987, practically. You know? Really? Wow. Really. That's how that's, that's how cloistered that's, the taste in our households your, were. Your parents are way different from mine. Yes. No, they are. My parents I were mean, afraid. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't my, my father enjoyed all this stuff. It was my mother just didn't go near it. We ate what she ate. And so that's the thing. We, we got the gray and brown food she made, and that was pretty much it. I didn't know it was deprivation until practically teenage years when I realized, oh, this is a pepper. This is fucking garlic. I had no idea what this stuff was. Wow. Uh, but in yeah. my 20s, though, is when I did discover a lot of like the – that's when I discovered Indian food. That's when I discovered Ethiopian food. That's when I discovered, ooh, the the Chinese buffet. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, yeah, that became the workplace lunch. You know, like we would go out and our, our you know, our ties and from whatever newspaper I was working at yeah, in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we go to the Chinese buffet. And uh, this would have fit perfectly into my early 20s where I was like, look at me. I'm leaving the job. I'm going to a workplace. This is where working men eat. You know, people yeah. who have desperate jobs eat at this place so yeah, yeah i would have like buzzed with excitement to have been included in their ranks for sure there, almost like there, almost regardless of the food they were serving uh, there's a variant of that in any city culture i mean i remember when i was in italy really digging that there are these um i don't remember what city i was in italy it was a city and there are these pasta places these like hovels so like the sizes of huts mm -hmm. and i don't even think they had any seats and it's just like a dude standing in the middle with a giant metal vat and you're just spooning out bowls of pasta Ooh, right? that sounds good. It might have, might have only been one variety, and I guess you could get a drink. And just a bunch of people on their lunch break, like, standing, like, on these counters, leaning against these counters, eating a bowl of delicious pasta. You know, so I think every culture has some, you know, in, in London, there were the pubs they go to. You yeah, know, we sure. still get pub food here kind of emerged out of that. It was where the working man went for lunch. He got a pint of beer. He got, you know, steak and kidney pie, whatever the fuck. <laughs> or the, the plowman's lunch or whatever they called it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Bangers and mash and take the lift to the lorry to the till or whatever the hell the British talk about. <laughs> so, sorry, I mean. Um, you know, there's something like that in every working culture. Yeah. And I think, I'm, frankly, I think it's awesome that the American version of that is the Chinese buffet in North Carolina. That is I mean, crazy, that's amazing. Right? And that now you can get sushi at a fucking stop and shop in probably any state of the union. So let me let me ask you, though. I think what you're telling yeah. me is, if I can infer here, is that your tastes were certainly not as uh, starch and uh, overcooked beef as mine. I was indeed a fussy eater, which, as George Carlin tells us, fussy eater is a euphemism for big pain in the ass. <laughs> I would only, I w uh, my mom would serve pasta. I wouldn't have tomato sauce on it, but I love tomato sauce on pizza. Okay. Uh, if she gave me a banana, I insisted the peel be removed entirely. I'm a lot better now, though I'm still not the most adventure. I'll try almost anything. But I don't like most things. But my parents themselves always have been fairly adventurous. I don't want to say fast food was a novelty, but, you know, McDonald's was a treat. Yeah. You know, we'd go to a decent Italian place or we wouldn't quite go to Ethiopian, although I think my parents would do that on their own. I mean, I think I tweeted the other night that the main sign I'm not a foodie is that I can imagine no edible creation more impressive than a Snickers bar. I was eating a little like bite-sized Snickers and I was just marveling over just like what an amazing creation it is. Yeah, it's you know, conceptual. I, I, I could get, I could say I, get I there just, with you. I, I, I mean, I was high too, so that helped. But like, just like, 
whoever created the Snickers bar, it's a fucking work of genius. Picture yourself at home and, and, and picture your neighbor. You like your neighbor, you get along fine, but you slowly start to notice that they're copying you. The way you dress, the way you talk, the way you walk, the car you drive, whatever. All the things that make you, you. But when does it cross the line? When does it become wrong? Your neighbor likes your car so much that they start to sneak in for drives. They start coming into your house to use your sofa and TV. That's clearly wrong, and there are laws against that. Culture isn't so easy, though. Culture is messy. Culture is shareable. Culture is personal and deep, and being careless with culture can ruin relationships and shatter trust. You know how I feel about this. Is poke a sign of the apocalypse? Well, you've convinced me that tuna is, so thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> hey, the I've done your service. The 76 cans of bumblebee tuna in my kitchen cabinet now go to waste. Putting aside the sustainability issues that you, you know, that you bring up, and I'm glad you brought up, I say absolutely not. I say this is the way culture moves. This is the positive way culture moves. Uh, this is something new to eat for lunch that I'm excited about. So absolutely not. It is not a sign of apocalypse. It is a good thing. Yeah, it's an apocalypse uh, for a couple <laughs> of different reasons. As something I haven't even gotten into is the commodity. Well, I glanced on the commodification of food. Listen to the beginning of the episode again because the whole tuna thing is a born. I mean, it, it is literally a, a mushroom cloud that people are just with their backs to and not paying attention to it. Uh, I won't belabor the point again. But how about this? The commodification of food. I believe that poke was a humble working man's food. Uh, like a lot of things that get brought to America and that are sold to a mass audience, at one point, something was simple and humble. There are a number of things and examples all throughout the last 30 years of um, urbanification of America where simple foods are taken and they're elevated and made into expensive commodities. And again, this is my complaint about being in a city where the idea of a domicile is commoditized out of people's hands and it creates a homeless epidemic and mm -hmm. food is made into an expensive ridiculous thing simply because it can be made into a, a commoditized quantity and poke is a thing that takes just garbage it's just rice it's seaweed it's sesame seeds and the poke i had but it was a 15 dollar bowl today two of them 15 dollars a piece it was a 30 dollar ticket well for, you for, went you went to the wrong place man. well that's all it's that's the going market that's the market right now is that's it's look and fucking movie tickets down the block for me cost 29 dollars here at the Jesus. at the south street seaport so this is Jesus. this is i understand this is proximity to where i am but the fact, the fact that you can touch the sky with such ridiculous pricing schemes I think is a sign of some apocalypse that, that the market will bear, not only just like take one of these, but it will put seven within sight distance of each other, that they could all charge $15 for a bowl of, of uh, fish leavings and garbage of the sea and trimmings. And, you know, uh, that's, that's... I don't know. I go back to the poke I ate, and it was not fish leavings. It was delicious, fresh, well-prepared fish, which yeah. I think is a treasure. And it's one of the, the great things God gave it's, us. Yes, it is. You're absolutely right. It should be. You know, and, and I'm going to, uh, boy, I, I will bring up the, uh, the horrible tale of the Huevos de Tortuga, right? Uh, 
turtle eggs, which yeah. is a staple food of many Pacific Islanders and even Central America and, and Car- Caribbean islands. These things were eaten for thousands of years by people who were humble, uh, uh, pastoral, agrarian, uh, seafaring cultures. And again, they ate it in a quantity that it didn't deplete. So now you're talking to a Nicaraguan who doesn't have a fucking dime to rub together with another one or whatever their, whatever their coin is, is not allowed to eat a food that was a staple yeah. of their great-grandparents' generation because yeah. we've killed the sea. They can no longer eat turtle okay. eggs because we've destroyed the turtle and made it into a commodity. And this is the problem, is that fish should absolutely be. It's such an easy thing to get. You're talking about entire civilizations based on people who ate fish and had long lives because there wasn't mercury inside the fish that they ate. It was so easy. The seas were teeming and they were plentiful and they only took what they needed. It is, you're right. It's God's gift to people. It's this endless food. It's this endless trough that just, you know, the, the tuna throwing themselves onto the boat. But that's not the world we live in, though. We are talking about two different things here when we talk about whether it's the case of the apocalypse. I am talking about the actual food of poke and its popularity. And um, you're talking about the actual poke industry as it stands. Yeah, sure. And I will admit that you're probably more on the mark about what this podcast (laughs) should actually be about. Data compiled over the last 60 years on tuna biology and annual catches has led some scientists to conclude that over 96% of the world's original stock of Pacific bluefin tuna are now gone. Some now estimate that fewer than 40,000 adult Pacific bluefin remain in the wild. Concern over the dwindling numbers of Pacific bluefin tuna has long been overshadowed by the attention paid to the Atlantic and Southern bluefin, two other types of tuna already treated as endangered species. Is your hatred of poke uh, jealousy? I don't hate it, so N slash A for me. Is your anger about poke, your sheer seething passionate hatred with the power of 10,000 burning white hot suns. Is that anger the result of jealousy? Well, to bring it back to the first point where I said I don't eat fish, this this I think will loop that in, is that I have yeah. always been envious of people who can eat fish because it looks so good and the abstract. Like there's what? so wait, many... Wait, wait, wait. You can't eat it or you don't like it? It's it's absolutely nauseating. It, it is a wretched uh, gagging taste when I put it in my mouth. Uh, so yeah, I would say I can't eat it. Almost as if... It, th- th- there's two things on earth that like almost like will will elicit tears if put into my face one is fish flesh and the other is celery i i hate celery too man and you know what drives me nuts when you order tuna salad and they just automatically put celery in potato salad salad for me i have to ask is there celery in the tuna salad and they always go i don't know and i'm like fucking find out (laughs) i hate celery (laughs) all right but here's my question for you when did you last try fish? The last piece of fish I had, I want to say, was at a place called the American Grill in West Hampton Beach, Long Island, at between college semesters. I was working at a newspaper. All right. I want to say 1996. I would suggest you try it again. This is the thing. It's like my wife gets fish semi-regularly, and she gets a, a smattering of fish. You know, she gets Nova Lox, like smoked salmon for, for like, on a bagel. She gets these incredible uh, uh, Dover soles, these Branzinos, all these oh, great so things. Good. So good. And, and in fact, when we—I can't remember where the hell we were. I think it was in Portugal back in 
2011. Man, it's like everything in Portugal was like thrown from the ocean directly oh. onto your plate. It passed oh. through a membrane of fire and it oh. hit your plate. When you go like, to the the fish I had in Hawaii was unreal, man. Unreal. Yeah. And as like I'm I'm looking at them, they, they it, this fish looked like it with the meat was perfect. It looks like the platonic yep. ideal of organic meat that you would eat. The actual flesh of the fish. And yet the the nearer I got to it and I smelled that briny sulfur salt low tide uh it was nauseating and it's like I'd back up and I just admire this thing that I it's like I want to approach it but it's just it's just there's something innate in me that is a no-go fish just does not work for any circumstances and every I one time one of my bosses was trying to say to me oh you just need good fish and it's like thanks for the clue I just need good fish it's like it's fish that's the problem it's fish all fish your loss yeah, it is my loss, and that's why I'm violently angry. That's why I've just bent these metal bars and tore these phone books in half over here. He 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 actually Bill engineered the whole tuna depletion crisis just out of spite. He's been pouring tuna poison into the oceans for the last 15 years. I'm like fucking Caesar uh, Romero's Joker, exactly. Yes, all exactly, these, these exactly. Fish have smiles on them and they're all fish washing have, up. No, Caesar Romero's Joker is all the water turns to strawberry uh, jelly. Strawberry right? jelly, that's true. What a it's, delicious it's, predicament for Gotham. It's, it's Marshall and we get to see Chief O'Hara in the shower. That's true. Uh, Marshall no, Rogers Marshall, did the Marshall yeah. Rogers Joker with a smile on his face. That's true. The that's laughing true. fish. We're such nerds. It's a good one. Um, all right, so so poke done covered our first food one in the can, my friend. Good job. By the way, I'd like to point out I keep mentioning yeah. seven poke shops within ten minutes of walking distance. Yeah. Ask me how many hospitals there are. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is none. <laughs> so if you want to find past episodes of our show, look on iTunes, which you can also stop and give us a review. Please stop Please. making us beg for these fucking things. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Come on. Uh, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, tweet to us. And you've been good at that. The people have been, been tweeting. I like this. That There's been yes. more Facebook traffic and, and Twitter traffic. At Noah and Bill's show. Um, I've been getting some good response from people who are digging it. Uh, Mr. Bartlam, I, I, I appreciate your um, your new your newfound fandom, or at least your newly revealed fandom. Uh, write to us at Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Visit I Don't Get It podcast. That's where the web episodes like live in a matrix, that kind of thing. The Twitter thing, keep it going, man. At William Skur, you'll see me. I'm popping off all week, and I'm on YouTube at <laughs> AM Caesar. Noah Tarno, fish lover. What about you? I'm all about the big quiz thing, bigquizthing.com. Finishing a really good holiday season. We do private and corporate quiz events nationwide. Uh, learn more at bigquizthing.com, at bigquizthing, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Yelp. And so I think this might be our last episode of the new year. We may yes. pop back up on like January 8th or something. Elvis's birthday. Elvis's birthday. Uh, see, only uh, Noah Aaron Tarno would know that of all people. We should do an episode about, we should do like an April Fool's Day episode mm-hmm. where we do like, you know, I don't get it. Boy George. What's with this guy? What's the they deal call with him, Boy George? They should call him Girl George. What's you know, the deal with like, Foster Brooks? This guy acts like a drunk. What's up with that? <laughs> Uh, so thank you for a uh, fruitful year, even though we had a little fruitful. infixed uh, summertime break. I think that this is our 32nd, yeah. 33rd episode. Yeah, this is, I think, uh, well, we, when did we start? We started earlier this year? Uh, I think it was in the spring. I think in the spring All we right. put our first one out. It's been but, a lot uh, of fun. It is, and I feel like yeah. uh, the listeners are exactly who I thought they were. But uh, like, I look forward to uh, Melissa Silvestri's uh, Monday afternoon uh, recaps of every episode. That's that's It tells me someone's listening, and, and, and yes. I really love that. Rick Hansen and Marie, everyone who's 
sort of on board. Hancock, all the good people who are uh, uh, doing this thing are real fuel for it. Aaron Grunfeld occasionally sends me a point of order by a text. Corrects yeah. me on a little point of nerdiness, as, as he has wont to do. Quite an expert on many things. The West Coast contingent of Aaron Chang, my, my good friend out in uh, uh, Gardenia, California. He listens to this in his car uh, on the way back and forth in his commute. Yeah, Marcus Penn has been tweeting us. Uh, uh, Scotty Thorough, another good guy I met this year through his Zebras in America podcast. Michael Ian Cohen, who you know, of course, from Cash Cab for Cutie. He was one of our regular. Oh right, right. Yeah, he, yeah you yeah. know, he, he's 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 a regular listener. Uh, so yeah, this this thing exists because people are here to share it with us, and we really uh, uh, dig the input and how uh, either people call us on bullshit or agree with our bullshit. Either way, it's a win for us. Anything involving bullshit's a win. For us. Precise mall, as the French say. All right. So, until 2018, everybody, uh, French for I don't care. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa, etc. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2017.